Hello and welcome, I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We are still very much knee-deep in tech, and this is episode 113, recorded on the 3rd of April 2020. We have broken the fin. <laughs> I think he managed to do that himself. That's but true. But I think he deserves a round of applause for being able to even record last week in terms of this week's discoveries. True. So I'll, I'll give you a bit of background and I'm not going to go into detail of, of his injuries. But as, as most of you know, that I, I used to be a paramedic and I have met quite a few people with dislocated shoulders and they are generally not that mobile and they are definitely not interested in recording any podcasts. Now, this doesn't stop Tony because Tony has managed to dislocate his shoulder and tear bits and pieces of said shoulder. But meh, he's Tony. He just shrugged it off and one day he couldn't bear it anymore. So yeah, that's what he did. So he went through surgery today. Yeah, uh, We've spoken to him since, so he is not dead yet. Um, <laughs> and we're going to get an update just as soon as he gets out of the hospital later tonight. But yeah, that's what he's been doing. Yeah, so when, when this episode is released, hopefully uh, next Monday, uh, please send Mr. Black Svea uh, on Twitter some love and uh, good gifs. Yes, especially cats. He really loves cat gifs. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's... I, I, I'll actually start by saying that I've had one of my best work weeks in a very, very long time. Oh, really? Uh, it's been great technologies to work with. I felt really energized by the uh, assignments and challenges. And I've had some really, really good meetings. I have, have had two meetings now where I've actually said to the customers in question that what you're telling me is making me happy because you are thinking in the right direction. Uh, so it's it's been it's been really fun. It's been a good week. How has your week been? You know, I could pretty much say the same because I've been almost in back-to-back -back meetings. I can't remember a day when so many people wanted to discuss things with me. And, and this this whole making me happy. I, I got into a meeting today with a new customer that wanted to talk about Power BI. And from the get-go, it was, we want to talk about uh, Power BI. We want to see a demo of Power BI. And it started from a technical standpoint. And... I pretty quickly tried to turn it around to a business viewpoint instead. And suddenly everybody was talking, everybody was full of ideas. So if you find the right perspective, then everything changes. So yes, they were thinking the right way, but they had not really started thinking about the, the uh, business opportunities and only got stuck in the technical stuff. So yeah, I agree. People are People are finding ways. Yeah, and I think that... Like we 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 actually uh, had a discussion earlier today, you and me, that people somehow, even though I have more to do than I've ever had, I feel very efficient when you now have your daily routine in. Uh, like you said, you have back-to-back -back meetings, but you're able to schedule them at a good pace. You don't get interrupted as easily, and you're able to actually clear off some of the interruptions while working from home. So I think we, we start to see the benefits where everyone gets very, very focused on doing a, such a good a job as possible. I definitely have to agree. And I saw something on Twitter the other day that said, we are not working from home. 
We are at home working during a crisis. So 60% is still a very high um, number of, of um, how do you put it, a high efficiency. So despite, despite this, I mean, I'm, I'm low, to be fair. I, I'm, I don't like being cooped up. I don't like not being able to go places. And since we're, this is going to be a slight digression into psychology, we are basically in a, a crisis situation, right? And that means fight or flight. Unfortunately, you can't fight this and you can't escape from it either. So there is only one thing left for the body to do. And that is lay down and play dead. <laughs> Seriously. So that's pretty much what your brain is doing. And a lot of people have a, a seriously hard time adapting to this situation. I am one of them. Uh, I didn't think that I would be this uh, affected, but I am. So yeah, I, I'm not uh, performing at my, my best. But still, as you say, there are ways to uh, set up your day. There are ways to create... Um, organization in your day and you get stuff done in a whole different way it's it's pretty interesting yeah absolutely and a group of people that doesn't seem to have been affected whatsoever currently is the product groups over in redmond because they are still releasing new things they are still doing like more webinars than ever they they i think microsoft has done a really good job as a company to really make that working from home experience work, even in the development cycle. And uh, hopefully that that would mean that they can also have new views on how they can build their, their product development teams on a global scale. I definitely agree. I mean, I had a conversation earlier today with a, another colleague, and the way I see it is that we've hopefully have gotten away from the discussion of no, you can't work from home. That that boat has sailed. Yes, you can work from home. The question is, do you want to and should you? That's a whole different discussion. It's like all of these uh, online seminars and, and conferences popping up. You can do them online, but just because you can doesn't mean you should in every case. So I am so much hoping that the human meeting, the interaction with another person is going to be rated higher so that people can respect the physical time more than we've done since the beginning of time, basically. Let's use these online stuff for what they're usable for, but don't always go for it. No, exactly. Value the human physical interaction that you can get only from meeting people um, and I think that that's one of the things I've really come to think of that the challenge with meeting online is that it's very, very hard to just bump into someone. You need to schedule things. You need to approach a person and actively ask someone for a conversation. Instead of just joining a discussion, which you could do at, at a physical event, so I think that part of conferences and user groups is what I really can't see happening virtually. It works on like forums like Reddit and so on, where you can sort of listen in to the conversation, but it won't happen at a webinar. It won't happen in the same way at a virtual conference. 
due to many various reasons. But that's what I'm missing. I know that some of the most interesting discussions that we have had with people we never had met before Microsoft Ignite, as an example, have happened by chance. Like we have been sitting somewhere and someone has walked up to us and said, yeah, I recognize you. Let's have a talk. And that's really, really hard to replicate in a virtual environment. I agree, definitely. Well, uh, when it comes to being being cooped up at home, there has been a lot of very interesting uh, releases. Uh, and I'm not talking about technical releases. I'm talking about Pluralsight, for instance. Yep. Giving up the entire catalog for free for the entire month of April. How cool is that on a scale from 1 to 95? It's great. And break for commercial. Please view our courses. End of commercial message. Yeah, my <laughs> course is pretty old these days. I think it's time to update it. But yeah, Mine are still th- relevant, actually. Well, mine's relevant, but it's old. Uh, I actually looked at the papers the other day, and I think it's more than two years since I did it. And let's, let's just put it this way. Power BI has changed a tad the last two years. Yeah, so I have to do this because I'm giving the podcast its name. Alexander, you are exactly like your blog post, old but relevant. So the name of this one is old but relevant. Yes. Okay. I I, I see a new t-shirt coming up. Yeah, oh, that would be awesome. That's something we really need to do. Old but relevant. Oh. Huh. Oh. Anyways, you yeah. <laughs> said that there was a lot of interesting news and you've put in a lot of news in the, the uh, episode for us. So take it away. What, what's happened on your side of the fence? I, I think we actually should start with just mentioning, because we talked about Microsoft Ignite hmm. uh, since that was actually announced this week. Microsoft Ignite won't be in New Orleans. It will be a fully virtual event. And I know that the product groups, the MVP groups, the event organizers, everyone is working seriously hard on how to make this work in such a good way as possible for a global population. So I would encourage everyone that listens to us, either if you send us your suggestions on what you would like to do, experience, see here, or send it straight away to Microsoft, your local Microsoft representative, uh, Anna Shu. please provide feedback for the entire event team for Microsoft to make this conference into as such a good event as possible. I have a few things up my sleeve that I haven't informed Alexander and Tony about yet, but I think we we can do some really seriously cool things to make and enhance the virtual conference experience. But please share your ideas on social media or wherever you are, but please share and help building a great conference. What's your thoughts on making Microsoft Ignite virtual? Was that a question to me? It's a question to you and to our listeners. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I've, I've I've been thinking about this one a lot because my first instinct when I heard that Ignite was going virtual was, oh, come on, this is not going to be happening. This is not going to work. And it isn't going to work. It is not going to work the same way. Yeah. It's going to work in a whole different way. And that means we have new rules. And lots of those rules are not even written yet i.e. we don't know what can or can't be done. So let's go find out. Let's let's come up with new ideas, new formats. 
I mean, just look at the, um, what was the name of the, um, it was an unconference, yeah, right? Yeah, unconference, yeah, exactly. Who, who would have thought of the, about that one uh, just five years ago? Yeah. So use that uh, ability to think outside the box and apply it to, to a virtual Ignite. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, definitely. So that's, that's one uh, of the things that's happened this week. We have also had a quite busy week in the world. Let's start with the things that will affect most people. Have you heard that Microsoft, from time to time, rebrand or rename their products? Uh, yeah. They do that quite a lot. And in many cases, I can get why, and there's a marketing value and reason for it. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. And this time... I'm struggling to keep self-control. But first and foremost, Microsoft will be changing the name of the locally installed Office package that you get from Office 365, which is currently named Office 365 Pro Plus. From April 21st this year, they will change that name to Microsoft 365 apps. All right. So it's not be too bad. Microsoft 365 apps for enterprise. Could be worse. Could it? So now we have an Office package, an Office product named Microsoft 365. It was hard Wait enough. Wait a when, second. Exactly. It was hard enough when you had. Office 365 and Microsoft 365, which were basically two different things, sort of. Now you have an Office product named Microsoft 365. To make things worse, uh, the E and A and F and G SKUs, so Office 365, E1, uh, A3, G5, those won't get name changes, but the small business and semi-consumer versions. So let's say I worked quite a lot with um, the uh, business premium SKU as an example. They are now renaming Office 365 Business Essentials to Microsoft 365 Business Basic. Business Premium becomes Microsoft 365 Business Standard uh, and I think they also actually changed the name of the Microsoft 365 business plan, but I'm not able to see that name change now. But basically, they are renaming some of their Office 365 plans into Microsoft 365. And I think that in the end, it will make sense because they would like to include Microsoft 365 services, such such as Azure AD security features, MFA management and such into it. But it will be a mess to explain this, in my opinion, to many of our customers. Did I mention lately that I am so happy not to be working with client stuff? <laughs> um... Like, I, I, I get why they renamed Flow to Power Automate. Oh, it do may, you? It makes sense. It makes Does sense. Does it? Yeah. But, but this, even though I can see that it makes sense, it will be a pain to explain. 
Hmm. Or, or am I just overreacting? Well, no. Um, I wouldn't say that you're overreacting because my first thought when I, I read the email was, wait, what? And I had to read the email again and again and again. I still don't see a pattern. It's just like you say, why are they combining Microsoft 365 and Office 365 names? Take one and run with it, for God's sake. Exactly. So leaving that before even I lose my temper. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about some new things. So this week, we have had releases of a current branch, a technical preview, and new Intune features. Uh, so the current branch and the technical preview is, of course, Microsoft Endpoint Manager, Configuration Manager, Configuration Manager, or SCCM, as it used to be called. Um, so the first one is the current branch release, which is now 2002, released on April 1st. Uh, we have a number of really cool features in that. One of the things that recently actually were pushed to the technical previews and is now in the actual current branch is the Microsoft Endpoint Manager Tenant Attach, which is basically an ability for you to synchronize your configuration-managed clients to the online uh, Endpoint Manager console. So basically, you can now synchronize that, then sign in through the new URL, which is endpoint.microsoft.com. It used to be devicemanagement.microsoft.com but now at endpoint.microsoft.com. And you will be able to see your Intune managed devices, your co-managed devices, so devices that are managed both by Config Manager and Intune, and you will be able to see your Configuration Manager managed devices as well, and take actions on them from a web-based console, which is really nice, and you get one, uh, one view of all of your devices. Interesting. That that's that's definitely a step in the right direction. I think. Yeah, uh, we also have a quite interesting thing. Um, if if you have been into Config Manager for a while, uh, you may have heard about the term Central Administration Site or COS. Mm -hmm. uh, COS is something that was aimed towards really really big organizations, uh, because in the beginning, a COS got in as the top level in your hierarchy of config man configuration manager sites. So basically, if you wanted to scale above, uh, I believe it were 200 or 400,000 clients, you needed a cost to scale out your config manager environment. The challenge were that in in the beginning, and I'm, I'm if, if I'm wrong here, someone please uh, excuse me, uh, but in the beginning, you weren't able to set up a cost after you had installed your config manager environment. Therefore, a lot of organizations that were way smaller than those hundreds of thousands of devices configured a COS server just in case. But it's a challenge from a management point of view, and it was only intended for a very specific reason. So it's been a real pain for many of the organizations that now have had uh, COS sites but now you're finally able to remove them and move to the new model of management. Which is really cool. nice. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, you're also able to... This is quite interesting. Uh, you remember that we have talked about desktop analytics. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. You now have a new thing which will help your IT admins a lot because the clients can now report on connectivity. So you can configure um, a specific uh, uh, URL and get notifications of that client not being able to reach that URL oh. based on proxies. So there there are some uh, quite interesting... Oh, yeah. So if you have pro- proxy configuration issues, uh, it can now check that connection and the connection status and report that to desktop analytics. Being able to say, no, it's not wrong with X, it's wrong with the proxy. That is going to save some time. Yes. We also have improvements to ARM64 devices. We have an ability to collect client-side logs from the Config Manager console. Uh, and this is one of the thing, two other things that I really like in terms of task sequences. And task sequences are basically a, a list of um, commands that should execute in a certain order that you have uh, configured them in. We usually use that for deploying operating systems, but it can be used for applications as well if you have a very complex application. So you can now have a task sequence as an app uh, model deployment type, uh, which is something we really have missed. So that's super cool. And you can bootstrap a task sequence immediately after you install a config manager client. So once the client has been installed, it doesn't wait for policies to go down or anything. You just execute that task sequence instantly. So there are plenty of new cool things in that. And I'll just give you one of my favorite features from the new technical preview, which is named 2003. That in itself is hilarious. Uh, As if the 2002 wasn't hilarious? Yeah, but you have now Endpoint Manager 2003, just as you had Server 2003. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm easily amused. Uh, you can now, in the technical preview, show boundary groups for devices. And boundary groups are the way we can target or tell a client that if you're on this network, go to this server to um, uh, get your content. But that's been really, really hard to troubleshoot at sometimes because where is the client now? Which boundary does it belong to? And now we can see which boundary is this client currently on from the console, which makes troubleshooting a lot easier. I love stuff that makes troubleshooting easier because something is going to hit the fan at yeah, some point and, and anything that makes it easier to troubleshoot is good stuff yeah and before i hand over to you because you, i know that you want to talk about power bi but for once i have more news than you have uh, so i'll make make the most of it for intune released march 30th we apart from the url change for the endpoint manager console we now have in public preview script support for mac os devices from intune Whoa. Yeah. That's super cool. So we're able to deploy scripts to macOS devices in public preview, but that's something that I have really longed for. I hear you. Even I understand that. Yeah. So I'll now do a mic drop with my headset and leave it to you. That is an interesting picture in my head. (laughs) Be I my guest. 
And suddenly this whole podcast is only me because Simon was just fired. No, so we uh, we have a a pretty small thing, but it's also a huge thing. There is something called the XMLA endpoint in Power BI. So what what is it? Well, let's take a few steps back. One of the the main issues uh, that people think about when they say the Power BI is the lock-in effect, because you can access a Power BI dataset from anything but Power BI, right? So if you were to build your your new shiny data warehouse and, and data environment on Power BI, well, you have just efficiently, effectively locked in your data. Yep. Not so fast, because there is this XMLA endpoint. And XMLA is the format that was established by a SQL Server Analysis Services. And it is an, uh, an open format that means that, for instance, I can connect SQL Server Management Studio or Tabular Editor or DAX Studio or whatever to the XMLA endpoint to grab data from an analysis services environment. Okay. So how does this apply to Power BI? Well, we all know that Power BI is really analysis services underneath. It's the same engine, it's just slightly different. So there is an XMLA endpoint, a read-only XMLA endpoint. That means that you can extract data and you can access data into these third-party tools if you want to. But these third-party tools have so many interesting features. For instance, the... um, the um, the tabular editor gives you uh, opportunities to do pretty serious and cool modeling and that stuff. And you can't do that because it's a read-only endpoint, right? But we now have in preview the XMLA read and write endpoint. You can now write into a, a data model inside of Power BI. Now, this is premium only. And I'm afraid that it's going to be staying premium only for quite some time. I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to see this in pro, but I have no information if that's going to be the case. Uh, I would love it. So this means that I can apply things to my semantic model that, for instance, Power BI Desktop doesn't support yet. Uh, we have something called calculation groups in SQL Server Analysis Services. It's a, a way of doing things to a tabular model that you could only do to a multidimensional model previously. And I'm going to go, not going into details because my head's going to explode. But you can now use tools that can handle these things to apply it to a Power BI data model, despite the fact that Power BI Desktop doesn't support it. You can also do metadata because as of the the March uh, edition of Power BI, there is the opportunity to turn on the preview for saving metadata, i.e. it's a new new format for the PBIX files, the, the Power BI files, that are now capable of storing metadata. And this metadata can be used, for instance, for multi-language reports. You can have one report with metadata that switches language on the fly, depending on where you're at. And that's the kind of stuff that gets uh, available through the XMLA endpoint. And again, this is premium only, and this is one more step to bring Power BI to become a superset of analysis services. We're not quite there yet, but we're going to get there, I'm going to say, sooner rather than later. And again, this is... The thing I like with Power BI is that I, I, 
I, I can't use the product. I, I'm actually I just signed up as an untapped supporter, so I now I'm now able to download my data set of beer. So that will be my my introduction to Power BI. Uh, but it's still these kinds of features that I actually understand because I can see where they make perfect business sense, and I understand how amazingly powerful these features are. Oh yeah, and this is just one of a, a, a gazillion features coming out. Yeah, and when it comes to to uh, learning things, when you are setting things up at a customer site, you are probably going to be expected to leave some uh, some documentation, right? Yeah. So in in when you're doing things with SQL Server, you usually work with SQL Server Management Studio. But there is a contender and has been for quite some time, and that's the Azure Data Studio. The Azure Data Studio takes a slightly different approach, but you can still, it's, it's, um, it's more focused on scripting uh, than the graphical user interface. It can do almost the same thing as you can do in, in Management Studio, but it's, it's going to be the future. And it is based on what is known as Jupyter Notebooks. Jupyter Notebooks are a markup format notebook thingy that enables you to mix text, just free text, and uh, kernels of code. So you can put in some PowerShell code, and then you have some other text, and then you put in another bit of PowerShell code. And you can run these snippets inside of your documentation. So you're, you're combining your documentation with scripts. How cool is that? And you can do this for Python, you can do it for PowerShell, you can do it for SQL, and this is pretty much what's the basis of the Databricks um, big data uh, analysis tool as well. So it's a standard, it's not uh, specific, but it's, yeah. I, I find this to be very, very powerful when it comes to documenting technical settings for SQL Server for my customers, for instance. Yeah, definitely. And I think when you can do your documentation while you do the actual work, you get better documentation. Yep. And you're less likely to miss some steps as well. So I love it. Yep. Cool. We are out of time. We are. The funny thing is we we always say the same thing when we start. I really hope we have enough stuff for this episode. And suddenly 30 minutes has just gone by. Yep. Definitely. We're consistent. We so we are. We're we're old but relevant, or one of us is old but relevant. One is young and irrelevant. But I'll Thank take you <laughs> anytime. Thank you so much for listening this week. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.